The following message is brought to you by New Song Church and Pastor Joshua Blunt in Oklahoma City, Oklahoma. For more information on New Song, visit us online at newsongpeople.com. Go ahead and if you would open your Bibles with me to Numbers chapter 12. Numbers chapter 12, and I'm continuing our I Got Issue series, and I suppose I should keep the tradition alive, right? So go ahead and turn to the person on your right and tell them, I got issues. Now turn to the other person and tell them, you got them too, right? We all have issues. And, and if you missed our very first, uh, uh, very first message in this series, Pastor Josh did an amazing job. He did a message called The Really Big Main Issue That Jesus Came to Fix. And if you missed it, the really big main issue that Jesus came to fix was a relationship issue. God did not want this world without a relationship with you. So he arranged for his one and only son, Jesus, to come to this earth to, to conquer sin, to defeat death for all of eternity so that we could be in relationship with him right now and for the rest of the and for the rest of the eternity and the thing about that that's so romantic it's the greatest love story ever ever told and we're living in it right now we get to live in this love story I love a good love story a good love scene and one of my favorite love scenes that I've seen the last couple years is actually in a kids movie and it's called Kubo and the Two Strings. And in this, mo- this movie, there's this scene where Kubo's mother, he's a young boy, she's telling him about the night that she met his father. And they were actually engaged in this battle against one another when all of a sudden he stopped and he looked into her eyes and he uttered these four words and she told him, these four words changed everything. And those four words were, you are my quest. And I don't know about you, but, but when I uh, watch movies, sometimes I am thinking about the gospel. And I'll have to admit, I was not trying to find gospel in this kid's movie about origami and a guitar and a snow monkey. But as I sat there, <laughs> as I sat there and tears were streaming down my face, I was reminded that this is gospel, that I am God's quest, that you are God's quest, that your heart is what he's after, that the really big main issue that he came to fix was a relationship with you. And ever since that message, we've talked about some issues like pride, comparison, and anger, things that we sometimes just see as minor personality flaws, which is exactly what the enemy would like for you to see them as. Oh, it's not a big deal. It's just a minor personality flaw. Everybody has them. But what they really are are destroyers of intimacy between you and God. Look at this in John chapter 15. This is Jesus talking. He says, I am the vine, you are the branches. When you're joined with me and I with you, the relation intimate and organic, the harvest is sure to be abundant. Separated, you can't produce a thing. Another version says, for apart from me, you can do nothing. So if we want that real and intimate and organic relationship where we're producing this harvest of fruit in our lives, then we have to stay connected to him. And these issues, they disconnect us from him. Here's how we stay connected, through fellowship, through prayer, through worship, through reading the word, and then through obedience. So this morning, as we dig into the word, know that if you will really hear this word and be a doer of this word, it's not just gonna make you a better and more pleasant person to be around. That's not all this is about. This is about deepening your relationship with him. So if you'll do this word, your connection to the vine will be stronger, amen? Amen. 
Amen. All right, so if you're taking notes, the title of the message today is The Negativity Issue. And we're going to be talking about what to do about a negative or a critical spirit. So let's get right into this with a definition. This is just a a simple working definition so that you kind of, we're all on the same page here. What is a critical spirit? A critical spirit is an attitude of criticism and fault finding, which seeks to tear down others rather than build up. A critical spirit often sees the worst instead of looking for the best. Now, before we go too far, I just want to point out that there is a difference between constructive criticism or constructive feedback and a critical spirit. I tend to have a critical eye, especially here at New Song. When I'm here on a Sunday morning, I'm looking for the things that aren't quite right. I'm looking for the things that could be better. I'm looking for things that could be communicated in in a more excellent way. Things like that. I'm looking. I'm on the look for those things. Not so that I can come and gripe at the staff on Monday and tell them all the things that were horrible. We're looking for things that can be fixed with, a, with a, uh, a hope and solution to that problem. And that's constructive feedback. It's three things. Constructive feedback is honest, it's welcomed, and it's helpful. So there's a difference. Constructive criticism finds problems, but with the mindset of finding hope and solutions to those problems. So if you're here today and you're kind of like me and you're, you're good at seeing what can be better, know that that's a strength. That's a good thing as long as you don't only focus on what needs to be better, but that you can celebrate and rejoice the things that are going, about the things that are going well. So there's a place for that, but today we're going to be talking about the kind of criticism that's not constructive, that's not helpful, the kind that is destructive. I think that you guys have all probably heard the the saying, everybody's a critic, everyone's a critic. I think that that is more true today than it's ever been before. If you think about it, when when I was growing up, I knew of two critics. Their name were Siskel and Ebert. You guys remember Siskel and Ebert? And they would give a movie two thumbs up. Well, now, thanks to Facebook... We don't need their thumbs anymore because we have millions of thumbs at our disposal with just a quick tap here, a a quick click here, a swipe there. We can let everyone know what we think about anything at any time. Social media and the internet and our phones, they have changed the game. Everyone is a critic Literally, we can criticize movies, um, Yelp. I, I love these apps, by the way. Rotten Tomatoes is a great app. I, I don't hardly see a movie if I haven't checked Rotten Tomatoes to see if it's certified fresh, if it's good, if it's worth the money, or if you should wait till it comes out on DVD, or if you should never, ever waste your time watching this 11% movie that they came out with. So I use these apps. I use Yelp um, to make sure that the new restaurant in town that I'm going to is worth my time and worth my money. These are great things, but I think sometimes in this way that our culture has conditioned us to be critical, we start to get this entitlement and we feel like we've got an opinion, we've got a platform to share it. And so we're going to start sharing our every thought that flies through our mind. And that's a dangerous place to get because a lot of times the things that we tend to, to criticize, we, we, people tend to share the things that they're unhappy with more than they share the things that they're happy with. And God is not okay with that because Jesus came so that we may have and enjoy life. And when we're all that we're focused on is negative, negative, finding flaws, things like that, we negate the cross. So this is what we're talking about this morning, how to overcome this negative spirit, this, this critical spirit that our culture has conditioned us to kind of live with. 
Um, last month in all of our small groups, we studied this and we asked the question, we went around, um, this is for our women's small groups, we went around the table and we asked, uh, would your closest friends describe you as a glass half full or a glass half empty person? That's a good question to ask yourself this morning. How would your friends, your closest friends describe you? And I admitted that my friends would probably say half full, but Josh, <laughs> I let my guard down a little bit more around him and I'm sure he would probably say half empty. I can tend to be a negative Nelly. You guys ever heard negative Nelly, negative Nancy, negative Ned? Well, this morning I'm gonna read you a little list here. You guys know Jeff Foxworthy, you might be a redneck if. Well, this is a you might be a negative Nelly if, only it's just not that funny, okay? Um, it's more informative. So you might be a negative Nelly if you have a critical lens on life. You might deny it yourself, but everyone else can see it. You move to the negative side very easily. You might be a negative Ned if you talk about a person or situation and focus the negative or focus on the negative with little helpful solutions. You might be a negative Nelly if you focus mostly on flaws, if you complain a lot, if you're always upset about something. Yeah, you ever know those people that are always upset about something? Um, you might be a negative Ned if even when you're succeeding and doing well, you still find something wrong to focus on. Guilty. Uh, you might be a negative Nelly if most of your communication is focused on what you're against, but you spend very little time highlighting on the good that you're for. You might be a negative Ned if you are rarely pleased. Listen, this is a widespread issue, not just in our country, but it's a really widespread issue in the body of Christ. Um, I think since we've become uh, pastors and church planters, I've seen that really compared to my experience in the secular word, world, Christians can be super gripey and super negative and judgmental and critical, and it's time to stop it. Everybody say, stop it. It's time to stop it. Okay, so this is what we're going to talk about today. The goal of this message um, is to recognize that having a critical spirit is a critical condition. It's not something that we should just uh, bat an eye at. This is a big deal because it hurts us, it hurts others, and it hurts our relationship with God. So I had you turn to Numbers 12. Go ahead and look there. We are going to look at the brother and sister of Moses. This is Aaron and Miriam. And if you're like me and you watched The Prince of Egypt like a million times when you were a kid, you're probably going to be imagining Sandra Bullock as we talk about Miriam and Jeff Goldblum as we talk about Aaron. So here they are. They are grown up. Miriam is the sister of Moses who watched him float down the river. She's the one who talked to the Pharaoh's daughter and said, I can... Uh, find somebody to nurse this baby for you, which happened to be Jochebed, their mother. And then Aaron is the oldest of all three of these siblings, okay? So they're grown up. They're out of uh, Egyptian captivity. They're past the Red Sea. And Moses is really starting to come onto the scene. God is using him in some amazing ways. He's having these encounters with the Lord. And here we find his siblings talking about him behind his back. Look at this, Numbers 12, verses 1 and 2. It says, while they were at Hazroth, Miriam and Aaron criticized Moses because he had married a Cushite woman. They said, has the Lord spoken only through Moses? Hasn't he spoken through us too? But the Lord heard them. Now, we read this and it doesn't seem that, like that big of a deal or maybe we can't relate to this. We don't know what a Cushite woman is, but I am going to uh, reenact this via text message this morning so that maybe you can see if you've ever had a conversation like this with someone before. Casey, here we go. Let's start this out. Miriam. Hey, Miriam. What's up, bro? 
Hashtag bored. Me too. Ugh, Moses' new wife just stopped by my tent. I can't believe he married a Cushite woman. He should know better than that. Mom and dad are probably so disappointed in him. Yeah, she's not his type. I don't like how she looks. She disgusts me. The great I am disgusted me. Haha, ha, I'll tell you what else disgusts me. Why does Moses think he's the only one God can speak through? Aaron says, right? God speaks to us too, but do we ever get any cred? Hashtag nope. I think he's getting a big head. Here comes God. Hey guys, meet me in the tabernacle and bring Moses. Anybody ever have a conversation like that? How, how scary would it be if God showed up in some of your text messages, right? So look at this, Numbers 4 through 8. So immediately the Lord called to Moses, Aaron, and Miriam and said, Go out to the tabernacle, all three of you. I've heard myself say this with three kids. Go to your rooms, all three of you, okay? Go out to the tabernacle, all three of you. So the three of them went to the tabernacle. Then the Lord descended in the pillar of cloud and stood at the entrance of the tabernacle. Aaron and Miriam, he called, and they stepped forward and the Lord said to them, now listen to what I say. He's about to put them in their place and show them that they had no business discussing what they were discussing. He says, if there were prophets among you, I, the Lord, would reveal myself in visions. I would speak to them in dreams, but not with my servant Moses. Of all my house, he's the one I trust. I speak to him face to face, clearly, and not in riddles. He sees the Lord as he is. Now, here's the kicker. So why were you not afraid to criticize my servant Moses? What a question. Why were you not afraid to talk bad about your sister-in-law? Why were you not afraid to judge the heart and the intentions of Moses, your brother and your leader? Why were you not afraid to make those sweeping assumptions and those sweeping statements? We had to ask ourselves the same question this morning. Why are we not afraid? Why aren't we afraid to talk bad about ourselves? Our kids, our president, Joel Osteen, or whoever other pastor is on blast right now, why are we not afraid? Why? Let's look at this. It's a big deal. I think Miriam and, and Aaron weren't afraid because, one, they felt justified. Two, they didn't realize God was listening. And three, they didn't realize how serious of an offense this was to him, which is crazy because just a chapter earlier, he literally burned some people up for complaining. And now, here they are. <laughs> Here they are complaining and murmuring about their own brother. I think sometimes we're the same way. We don't realize it's a big deal. We feel justified and we don't think that God is listening or that he cares. But I want to show you how big of a deal this is to our God. Numbers 12, 9 through 15, or 9 and 15. The Lord was very angry with them and he departed. As the cloud moved from the tabernacle, there stood Miriam, her skin as white as snow from leprosy. So Miriam was kept outside the camp for seven days and the people waited until she was brought back before they traveled again. Now, as I read this this week, I kept having two thoughts as they went over and over and over this text. The first one was, thank you, Jesus, for taking the wrath for me so that when I criticize people, I don't end up with leprosy for seven days. And the second thing I thought of was, man, 
This is an ugly thing. This critical spirit is ugly. And so I, I want to draw some instruction from this story today. And I, 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 we're going to start with two lists, okay? The first list, if you're a note taker, you can, you can title this list, We Criticize Because. And I want to just pull out some reasons from the life of Aaron and Miriam, see why they were being critical, and maybe we can see some of these same traits in us, okay? The first one is, we criticize because we think we know it all. We criticize because we think we know it all. Aaron and Miriam they felt like they had this super x-ray spiritual vision that they could see to the heart of their brother and see that he was getting prideful when actually God says he was a very humble man. So we think we know it all. We think we know people's hearts and their intentions when really we don't know the half of it. How many times do we do this? Do we judge a person just based on what they're wearing? We don't know them. We don't know their story. We don't know their heart. We don't know where they're coming from, but we make a snap judgment just by looking at someone. Or how many times do we judge a pastor by a soundbite? Or, or, or we, we judge a, a, a person that our kids go to school with just by the way that their children behave. We, we criticize and think this person must be a horrible parent because we've seen this kid do one thing wrong. I actually had this happen to me this week. Um, somebody criticized the His Conference. They sent me a message, not me personally. It was, they, they put it out there for the whole Facebook world to see. Um, I'm not friends with this person. We have no mutual friends, but she must have seen our His Conference advertisement pop up in her newsfeed. So she went to check it out. And then she decided to make some really judgy assumptions and then let everybody know her thoughts on the conference, which were, why would these people spend this much money on photography that has nothing to do with Jesus? And I'm not paying the registration fee because you guys are bad stewards with money. So I, I, I saw this and read it and had to call him and have him talk me down because I was, I was ready to fight back. But too, I was like, oh, yay, thanks for the perfect illustration for my message. Um, what she did was she thought she knew all the facts, but she didn't because she didn't know that the photographer that took these pictures is our New Song Church photographer. And she's amazingly talented and gave us an amazing deal. She didn't know that the dancers, the models, we didn't pay them a dime. They went to our church. They wanted to do the project to help us out. And then she also didn't know that my husband is a graphic designer. And although his work looks like it's thousands and thousands of dollars, he works for free for me. So... <laughs> It cost us $200, but here she is putting us on blast, thinking she knows everything, assuming that we're bad stewards when she doesn't know we're doing this on a shoestring budget. We're giving away 50 tickets to single moms. She doesn't know the whole story. How many times do we do the same thing? If you don't know all the facts, keep your mouth shut. And I'll tell you this, it's going to be very rare in this world that you're privy to all the facts. Just because you watch the news and this station says this is the way things are, I t I'm telling you, you don't know all the facts. So unless you do, then you have to keep your mouth shut. Okay, number two, we criticize because we are insecure or jealous. I think that Miriam and Aaron were a little jealous of their brother. This is their baby brother, right? But now he's the leader of the pack. He's the one that's having this amazing face-to-face -face relationship with God. I think they're a little jealous. Maybe Miriam was jealous of her new sister-in-law. Maybe she's one of those sister-in-laws that can eat all the manna she wants and she doesn't have to work out. And she, she looks great in everything. I think there's a little bit of jealousy that we pick up in Miriam. Why does she not like her new sister-in-law, right? I think we do the same thing. We criticize 
and we make these negative judgmental calls because we're jealous or we're insecure. It's not that my daughter doesn't like my other daughter's new shoes, then she's talking bad about them. She doesn't like them because she doesn't have them, and so she criticizes. Sometimes we criticize people's cars, their homes, their job, the family life that they have, because not that we don't like what they have, we just don't like that we don't have it. And so we throw out these critical comments. Uh, Number three, we criticize because we are bored. Uh, You know, Miriam and Aaron, they had to be bored. They're out in the wilderness. Their cell phone service is spotty um, and no Netflix. And they're they're just kind of going in circles, passing the same trees, stuck out in the wilderness. And so I think just out of boredom sometimes, we start to let our mouth run. I've noticed that the more negative the people are, that I've come into contact with, the less that they have going on in their life. So because they don't have their hand put to something good, because they're not all in doing what God's called them to do, because they don't have a purpose, because they don't have a vision for their life, they're bored. And because they're bored, they have time to sit around and criticize every, uh, every body language thing. They, they look into every word. They weigh everything. They're just looking to find dirt, looking for something. And, and, and you see this with people on the internet. It's just like, how do you have time to research all this stuff about the president and then put like, I don't have time for that. How do you have time for that? You're just bored. So if you find yourself negative, being negative all the time, find something to do. Get in a small group. Get some new friends. Start serving here at New Song. Come see me. I got stuff you can do. I'll put you to work, okay? If you're bored, uh, you're going you're gonna to find yourself sliding into that negativity stuff. Number four, we criticize because we're following the crowd. Miriam started this whole conversation, and Aaron just kind of went along with the crowd. We do this. Everybody at work is talking about the boss, and so we jump on that negative and critical train, and we follow along. We follow suit. We do the same thing. We can't criticize just because everybody else is criticizing. Someone shares a post, and all these other Christians are sharing this post about this person, so it's okay. I've got the green light. I'm going to share the post, too. We just jump right in. You never have the green light to share, even if other Christians are sharing that post. Don't be negative just to follow the crowd. Number five, we criticize because we're unhappy. Think Aaron and Miriam were just kind of in a place where they're not happy with how things are going. They thought they'd be, they thought they'd be here by now, and they're still back here, and they're not in the promised land yet. And it's just human nature that when we're unhappy, we want other people to be unhappy with us. So we criticize because we're unhappy. Okay, so now we're going to talk about five things. Start a new list, and this list is called We Shouldn't Criticize Because. The other list was we criticize because, and now here's we shouldn't criticize because. Number one is we shouldn't criticize because it causes inward decay. It causes inward decay. Remember at the end of the story, God left Miriam and Aaron, and as he did, he struck Miriam with leprosy. Why just Miriam? That doesn't seem fair, right? Well, the way that the text is worded, her name is first, which shows she's leading the way in this conversation. And why leprosy? Why did God put leprosy on her when in the New Testament we see Jesus healing people of leprosy like crazy? Why? Here's why. He wanted us to, uh, her body to reflect her heart. He wanted her to, he allowed her to live with the outward display of her inward heart for seven days. You have to understand about this about leprosy. It's called uh, walking death. 
It was a horrible disease where you would, your body would just start to rot away. You would lose feeling, things would fall off. It was a horrible disease. And he put this severe advanced case on her so that she could see what happens to her on the inside when this critical spirit is able to, to run loose. This is what happens when we criticize. An inward decay starts to happen. Things like um, our joy, our friendships, our ability to hear from God, our influence on the people around us, that all starts to decay when we let this critical spirit have its way in our lives. Look at this with me, Philippians 2, 14 through 15. Do everything without complaining and arguing so that no one can criticize you. Live clean, innocent lives as children of God, shining like bright lights. This is what our kids say on the way to school, and they haven't mastered it yet, but it's something that we're trying to keep in front of them. Do everything without arguing or complaining so that you can shine like a bright light. When you are critical, that light starts to decay. You lose your joy. You lose your influence. That's what we're here for, to be salt, light, and love. So criticism It decays your purpose. It's a big deal. Number two, we shouldn't criticize because it will boomerang back to us. I love this from the message. Luke 6, 37. Don't pick on people. Jump on their failures. Criticize their faults. Unless, of course, you're right. Right? No, that's not what it says. It says, unless, of course, they deserve it. Right? No, it says, Don't pick on people, jump on their failures, criticize their faults, unless, of course, you want the same treatment. That's that's where, that's, that's the only unless here, unless you want it back to you. Don't condemn those who are down because that hardness can boomerang. Be easy on people and you'll find life a lot easier. Okay, so uh, Miriam was, was trying to keep these words in a safe place, right? This is my safe place. And I think sometimes we use that as an excuse. I can be honest and real with this friend because this is my safe place. But it wasn't a safe place because God was there and she's spreading it to Aaron. And you know what? What she did, trying to keep it in this little place, it ended up booming, boomeranging back to her. The next verse in Luke talks about how um, you will, what you sow, you will get back good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over. And we love to use that verse when it talks about finances, but this is talking about this critical spirit. She's in this little secret place trying to, to share her critical feelings about her brother and what happened happens, this, boom, this, this judgmental stuff boomerangs back on her. Now the entire camp knows what happened with Miriam. She's made a public display. So now people are criticizing her, judging her, and they're having to wait on her so they can continue with their trip. So you might think that this is no big deal. You can talk about someone here in this secret place, but the word of God tells us that it will boomerang back to you. And usually it boomerangs back to you worse than how you dished it out. Okay. Number three, we shouldn't criticize because it's contagious. Leprosy was thought of as highly contagious. So once you had it, you had to go live in a colony with other lepers. Think about how depressing that would be. You have this disease called the walking death, and now you're just surrounded by other people who have the same disease. So you're just surrounded by decay. This is what happens when we criticize people. It's contagious, so other people get it. And then before you know it, we find ourselves in these little circles, and we've all got the same disease. It's depressing. There's no hope. There's no hope in that. And think, think about it like this. If you had the flu, 
You would not go to work or to your home and cough all over everything, drink out of everybody's coffee, not wash your hands. You wouldn't do that because you don't want to spread that flu, right? But we don't have any problem. Why are we not afraid to do this in the workplace with criticism or at our homes? We come in, we start talking about negative things, talking about this person, talking about that person, and it spreads. It's contagious. So just as you would guard the people that you love from the flu virus, you need to guard them from this critical and negative spirit. Ephesians 4.29 says, let no unwholesome word proceed out of your mouth, but only that which is good for building up, that it may give grace to the listeners. As you're talking, you're supposed to be talking grace. And a lot of times when we're talking about people, we're talking about these leaders, our president, these pastors, our friends, whatever, even ourselves, we're not giving grace to the listeners. Number four, we shouldn't criticize because it grieves the heart of God. James 4 says, don't badmouth each other. It's God's word, his message, his royal rule that takes a beating in that kind of talk. I love this imagery. You're supposed to be honoring the message, not writing graffiti all over it. Don't, we don't, we shouldn't criticize because it hurts the heart of God. And number five, we shouldn't criticize because God commands us not to. I think we've seen it over and over and over again. It's his will that we are not to be critical, not to be negative, not to be judgmental. Okay, so I think that we've got a really good case here. We know why we do sometimes criticize. Now we know why we shouldn't criticize. So now let's talk about how we get free from this spirit of criticism. I've got four points for you as we close today. And the first one is actually repent. If you want to break free from this critical spirit, you're going to have to actually repent. Now, repent is one of these words that I've been stuck on the last couple of months, and I'm seeing how important and how central and how vital it is to every believer's life. But I also think it's one of these words that people just don't quite get the concept of. Uh, First, let me read you this, just so you can get the same, that weight of how important this word is. Repent was the first word of John the Baptist's gospel. It was the first word of Jesus's gospel. It was the first word in the preaching ministry of the 12 disciples. Repent was the first word in the preaching instructions Jesus gave to his disciples after the resurrection. It was the first word of exhortation in the first Christian sermon and the first word in the, amount, in the mouth of the apostle Paul through his ministry. I would say this is a very important word for us as believers to not only know what it means, but to be living a lifestyle of repentance. So I think if you ask people, they would say, yeah, repent is just when the Holy Spirit convicts me. I say, I'm sorry, Lord, I'm sorry. I see now that I've been critical and I'm sorry, but it's not, that's, it's more than just words. Okay. It says in Matthew 3, 2. Now, I don't know about you, but I'll be honest with you. Sometimes in church, when a scripture pops up on the screen, I check out. Like, I'm not, I don't actually, like, I, don't, I, just, I just check out. I'm going to encourage you right now. If you don't get anything else out of this whole message, please get these next couple verses. They're game changers. Not just for this message, but for your life, okay? Matthew 3, 2. This is John the Baptist. He says, repent. Now, look at all that this word entails. Change your inner self, your old way of thinking, regret past sins, living your life in a way that proves repentance. Seek God's purpose for your life. That's what it means to repent. It's not just a Lord, I'm sorry. Now look at this, Uh, John, same chapter, verse number eight. 
John the Baptist is baptizing people and the Pharisees come to him. And if you know anything about the Pharisees, you know that they are the most critical, the most judgmental and the most negative people in scripture. And they're wanting to get baptized. And I love what John says. He's like, you want me to baptize you? First this, produce fruit that is consistent with repentance demonstrating new behavior that proves a change of heart and a conscious decision to turn away from sin. Here's what I want you to see this morning. Produce fruit that is consistent with repentance. How do you know if you've truly repented? How do you know if your spouse has truly repented? If the fruit that their life is producing is consistent with that repentance. Um, If someone's truly repented, their behavior will demonstrate a change of heart. The Lord showed me this 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 week, and it's something that I'll never forget, and I hope that you don't either. Uh, I've experienced two failed pregnancies. In 2011, we delivered our son, Felix, stillborn at 20 weeks, so halfway through the pregnancy. And then this time last year, I had an early miscarriage. And if you've ever been through anything like that, you know how devastating and how sad that is to go through. And the Lord showed me this week that when we sin and the Holy Spirit convicts us and he draws us to the heart of the Father and we even have that moment where we say, Lord, forgive me. If we have that moment, but we don't truly repent, that we don't do something to change so that the fruit that our life is producing is consistent with that repentance, it's like there was a miscarriage there. The thing that God started, the miracle that he started in your life, you won't see the fruit of it if you don't truly repent. Write this down if you're taking notes. True repentance is not a barren thing. True repentance brings forth living fruit. So if you want to break free from this spirit of criticism, you got to truly repent. You got to actually repent, not just say, Lord, I'm sorry. And then just keep doing things the way you've been doing them. But you got to say, Lord, I'm sorry. Show me how to change, which leads me to point number two, which is formulate a plan. Formulate a plan. Jeremiah 29, 11, For I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. They are plans for good and not for disaster, to give you a future and a hope. God knows the plans he has for your life, and those plans are good. So those plans do not involve you having a critical spirit. So if you want to have a life that's consistent with repentance, and you really want to break free from this, you need to seek the Lord and ask him to give you his plan moving forward. Lord, what can I do to break free from this? I think a lot of times... We, we think that our pastor, Pastor Josh or other pastors, leaders, uh, writers, they're supposed to come up with a plan for us and tell us exactly how to change and exactly the steps that we need to do to break free from things. When really the Holy Spirit, you have access to God and you have access to his plan for you. And he has a unique and specific plan for you to show you how to break free from this. So this week, you need to spend some time in prayer, listening and asking him to show you, God, how can I change? How can I truly turn? What are things in my life that you see um, that, that take me down this road of criticism? Do I need to maybe get off social media for a while? Do I need to maybe pray before I post? Um, do, do, I, do I need to find an accountability partner, somebody that can say, hey, I give them permission. When you see me being critical, tell me, because I don't want to be that way. I don't know what that looks like for you, but God knows the plans he has for you, and he wants to help you figure out how you can turn away from this so that you can produce fruit that is consistent with change, okay? Number three is switch to a Canon lens. Switch to a Canon lens. 
I think uh, a lot of people will say, I've heard this um, from family members, and I'm not going to name any names, but they'd say, they would say, I'm not negative or I'm not critical. I'm just a realist. Have you ever heard anybody say that? I'm just a realist. Okay, here's what Webster says a realist is. A person who recognizes what is real or possible in a particular situation, one who accepts and deals with things as they really are. Now, here's the problem with that, is that most realists are looking at life through the wrong lens. As Christians, we are called to look through a Canon lens, not like a Canon camera lens, but a Canon lens. The 66 books of the Bible is called the Canon of Scripture. And here's what that means. Uh, the word comes from the Hebrew word kana, which means a rod, and the Greek word kanon, which means a reed. Listen, the words referred equally to the measuring rod of the carpenter and the ruler of the scribe. So our Bible, the word of God, the 66 books of the Bible, they're our ruler, they're our rod, and it's what defines our, our reality, what's possible in any given situation. The word of God, okay? So look at this def definition. I'm gonna say to you this morning, it's okay to be a realist as long as you're a canon realist. Let's look at the definition now. A person who recognizes what is real or possible in a particular situation, one who accepts and deals with things as they really are according to God's word. Seeing life through the canon lens means that you 100% trust God's definition of reality. What but you may be looking at through your regular lens, through the worldly lens, may be a problem child. On, on paper, the teachers, the principals, doctors, they have given him this diagnosis, diagnosis of problem child. And so you start to see this child through that lens. And then you have these critical feelings, these critical thoughts, these critical statements that you're making about this problem child. But what if you switch your lens to the canon lens? You will see that this child is not a problem, that he is a gift from the Lord, that he is an arrow in the hand of a mighty warrior, that he's a gift from God, that God has a plan for him, that God has a purpose for him, if you'll switch that lens and you'll actually start to be a canon realist and not just take whatever the world's diagnosis is, take whatever critical lens people are looking through and, and just accept that for reality. If you'll switch to the canon lens for everything, you'll find hope, you'll find answers, you'll find joy. When we focus everything through that canon lens, it sends that critical spirit away. So we need to change our lens. Number four is screen your thoughts. And I'll close with this band. You guys can come up. Proverbs 4.23 says, keep your heart with all diligence for out of it spring the issues of life. We're talking about issues, right? Everybody say issues. You know what that word issues means here? It means free moral choices. So we could have called this series, I got free moral choices. And, and what that means is God has given us the gift of free will. We have the ability to make our own choices and we have to guard our hearts, keep our hearts with all diligence because it's out of our hearts that spring those free moral choices. So if we guard our hearts, then we're gonna make good choices. If we don't guard our hearts, we're gonna make bad choices. We have to guard our heart because out of it flow the issues of life. I want you to think about that word guard with me for this, 
for, for a moment as we close here. I think sometimes when we hear that word, um, or I talked about earlier how I let my guard down. We need to not let our guard down, but we need to keep our hearts guarded. Think about the job description of a guard. Think about when you're going through the airport and, and the TSA guys, they are checking everything. They're screening everything. There's x-ray machines. There's metal detectors. There's little sticks that they put over bottles of water and things like that. They're screening everything, checking boarding passes, checking IDs, making sure that the right things get through and that the wrong things do not get through. We have to place a guard at our hearts that doesn't allow thoughts of bitterness, thoughts of criticism, thoughts of negativity to come creeping in. You know, I think sometimes uh, we play better host to negative thoughts than we do to life-giving thoughts. Those thoughts come knocking on our door and we say, come on in, take off your shoes, sit down on the couch, let's binge watch CNN together. Like we, we just let these things come in and, and make, their ho- make our hearts their home. But that's not what God has called us to do. He says, guard your heart. Don't let these thoughts come through. Screen these thoughts. Do these thoughts line up with God's word? If they don't, send them away. It's our responsibility and ours alone to screen our thoughts and either send them away or allow them to stay. And this is why this is important. Luke 6.45 says, what you say flows from what's in your heart. Whatever's in your heart, that's going to come out of your mouth. So we have to guard our hearts. Now, I don't know about you. I don't know if you came in here this morning and you're half full. I don't know if you're half empty. But wherever you are, there is room to grow because God has not called you as a believer to be half full. He hasn't called you to be half empty. He's called you to be overflowing with joy. Look at these scriptures with me. Romans 15, 13, I pray that God, the source of hope, will fill you completely with joy and peace because you trust him, that you will overflow with confident hope through the power of the Holy Spirit. Philippians 4, 4, always be full of joy in the Lord. I say it again, rejoice. Psalm 16, 11, you make known to me the path of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence, your eternal pleasures at your right hand. And Psalm 126, two through three, our mouths were filled with laughter, our tongues with songs of joy. Then it was said among the nations, the Lord has done great things for them. The Lord has done great things for us. And we are filled with joy. It's not okay to just be half full. We gotta be overflowing with joy. Overflowing joy should be the trademark of every Christ follower's life. Is it a trademark of your life? If you would bow your heads and close your eyes. I believe that God is speaking to hearts all over this room today. I believe he's actually kickstarting our freedom night right now. I believe there's people in this room who've been bound by a spirit of criticism. You're critical toward yourself. You think negative toward yourself. I, I just uh, messaged somebody on Instagram and told them they looked cute and they responded right back with a negative comment about themselves. There's people who are criti- critical toward their spouse, just towards life in general, always looking for faults. But God wants to set you free this morning. He wants to fill your hearts with joy. And as I prayed about this this morning, 
I just had the sense that some people were gonna hear this and they would just think, I wish I could just start over. I feel like there's too many wires crisscross. There's too many things going on. I've made too big of a mess. I wish that I could just get a fresh start. It's gonna be so much work to go back and try to fix all this negative stuff that I've let in my, my heart. And God dropped this verse into my spirit. Psalm 51:10. create in me a clean heart, O God and renew a right and steadfast spirit within me. Listen, your creator, he can create again. He can give you a fresh start. He can give you a clean heart this morning. He can take that old heart that may be bound up with negative and critical thoughts and he can put a new heart there. He can give you a fresh start. His mercies are new every morning. He can give you a right and steadfast spirit. He can renew your spirit. He can take that critical spirit and get rid of it and give you a new spirit. And what you thought may take weeks or months, this task that you think, I can't even, I don't even know where to start trying to be a person full of joy. He can change that in a moment. If you're here this morning and you would like a fresh start, you just say, Lord, I just want to start over. Today, I'm moving forward with a heart that's overflowing with joy. I'm saying goodbye to a critical spirit. If you want a fresh start, would you just raise your hand? There's hands going up all over the room. Okay, you can put it back down. Now just say this with me this morning. Everybody say it with me. Say, Lord, I thank you for your goodness. And I thank you for your ability to create a new heart in me. I ask you, Lord, to create a new heart, to renew a steadfast spirit. And I purpose to put a guard at my clean, fresh heart. Help me to recognize negative thoughts and send them away. Help me to recognize life-giving thoughts and fill me with joy. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Everyone look up here at me. Altar ministry, I'd like to go ahead and invite you guys to come forward, our altar ministry team, our prayer team. We're gonna close out this morning like we do every Sunday morning at New Song with an opportunity for you to pray with someone. If you have need of prayer for anything, I know we've already prayed over, over this critical spirit. We've asked God to give us a, a, a new heart this morning. But if you have a, a sickness in your body, if there's something going on with your kids, with your spouse, you just need answers, you need directions, whatever it is this morning, we wanna partner with you in prayer. If you wanna pray about a critical spirit, if you wanna have some Somebody lay hands on you and, and ask the Holy Spirit to fill you with joy. We want to do that. So whatever it is, whatever you have need of, we're going to stand to our feet. Go ahead and stand with me. We're going to sing one last song and feel free to come forward and receive prayer um, this morning. Lord, we thank you for your goodness. Thank you for your mercy. Thank you for your love. Thank you for changing our hearts this morning. Thank you for helping us to leave this place full of joy. Thank you for a spirit of joy on each and every person here. I pray that Holy Spirit, you would draw any person to the altar who's in need of prayer this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to this week's message from New Song Church. If you have a prayer need or would like more information about New Song, you can email info at newsongpeople.com. If you would like to partner with New Song through giving, Go to www.newsongpeople.com forward slash give. And if you want to stay connected to New Song, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter by searching for New Song People.